searching for Canada's best startups. The Pitch Please Podcast. Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Give us your best pitch. Pitch Please. Three, two, one. Connecting with Canada's startups to learn about their business and the amazing people behind them. Follow along and hear some of the most interesting ideas in startups from across Canada. What's up, everybody? It's Mike. We're back here on the Pitch Please podcast. And today we've got Zeon from Leaders of Today. You might remember him from episodes from last year where we previously had him on for his social enterprise for the menstruators. But today we're going to be talking about a whole different range of topics. Uh, We're going to be talking about choosing a co-founder, which I know a lot of people over the last year have talked about in bits, and we're going to go a lot deeper into that. We're also going to be talking about something that is often taboo, which is when you are the co-founder of a startup and things don't make sense for one reason or another, what does it mean and how do you approach parting ways? And then we'll talk about what Xeon's up to now. We're going to talk about the creator economy, starting that journey. What does it entail? How do you become a thought leader in this space? Is that a startup? I don't know, but we're going to talk about it today. For everyone that's new, maybe doesn't know you, Zion, let's give a quick introduction and then we'll start diving into Thank things. you so much, Mike. Uh, super excited to come back on and give you some updates. I'm Zian. I am, where do I start? I have a lot of roles, but I'm from East Africa. I moved to Canada three years ago and my initial startup journey started with my social enterprise, as you mentioned, and we talked about it in our last episode. And then this year, I ventured more into the fintech loyalty space i used my experience in the social enterprise space and identified a gap in nonprofit fundraising and wanted to create like a loyalty program for nonprofits. and so i got into an incubator here in toronto um, started building out on my own with a co-founder and then six weeks into the program he um, uh, decided to get a full-time job and left and uh, within that week i met a competitor and uh, after a couple of conversations, the competitor offered me a deal to join him as a co-founder. We then spent seven months building a nonprofit fundraising platform that primarily focused on donor retention rates by doing cashback rewards that you can decide to donate, as well as spare change roundups that you can decide to donate to your favorite cause. Uh, but seven months into doing that, uh, my co-founder and I uh, definitely had a different alignment in terms of our long-term vision, and I decided to make the tough decision to uh, leave that startup. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, maybe let's break down the journey. First, for anyone that's new, let's give them the quick background on that history of you know being from Africa and this piece around the social enterprise that you started called for the menstruators. What is like the headline on that and what kind of activated that? Because I think that'll be a really good segue into some of the other work that you're doing around social enterprises and the community and and really helping people. Yeah, for sure. So when I was 15, I primarily, I was required to start up a personal project uh, back in Kenya at a boarding school I went to. Um, I could do anything on my choice and I watched this documentary on menstrual health um, and had a conversation with my mom about it. And she told me that when she was young, she didn't have proper access to menstrual products. I did that kind of inspired me to learn more about this uh, issue, and I found out 500 million people don't have access to products, um, which then inspired me to start my own uh, social enterprise. In which primarily what we did was we produce and distribute reusable menstrual products 
that will last for three years, 100% biodegradable, cost-effective, um, and then would give it out to uh, people that don't have access to this, but also would teach them how to make their own and build capacity so that they have lifelong access to this product. Um, it had been six years of that, and now we've you know helped over 20,000 people in 10 countries around the world. We have a team of 150 plus volunteers. Our work still continues, and we have our ex- amazing executive director kind of running that show. Um, and this year, I decided to kind of take a step back to uh, try out something new and see uh, where my passion lies. And that's where I came across this gap in the nonprofit fundraising industry because I had worked with all these nonprofits with my previous venture. Got it. And when you were working on that, you were part of, you know, you said a, like an incubator, which, which one was that? And you said you'd met a co-founder, but then in that scenario, how did you get matched with that co-founder? And why do you feel like that didn't work out? That'll maybe prime what we're going to talk about. Yeah, for sure. So I got into next Canada. Um, It's a incubator here in Toronto. And I actually didn't make it to my co-founder through the program, even though a lot of people did. I, when I was looking for a technical co-founder, I reached out to like the smartest people I know. And one of them connected me to um, uh, someone that was looking to build something and was technical. They were based here in Toronto and they seemed really interested in, you know, kind of joining. And for me, at least at the time, my approach towards finding a co-founder, like I, I saw it as a marriage and I saw it as any other relationship, right? And I, when people would tell me stuff about co-founder issues, I would just be like, hey, if you want to make it work and you have your foundation values aligned, everything else will kind of work out on its own, right? Um, and so I didn't spend a lot of time even with him trying to understand. I never met him in person. So I was based in BC, he was based in Toronto. But I was like, you know what? And and just to break that down, so you just met him through like a connection. Like it was just like exactly. a warm intro through exactly. your network. Um, and I was like, you know what? How about let's just build something together and then we can figure stuff out. We negotiated. Uh, I think we had like a, a 65-35 split or something like that. Um, and and we were like let's do this and i knew that he was he was in his final year of uh, university and so he was graduating but he said he this is something he wants to work on before he figures out like what his future plans are got it and so through that process you guys started building and then what yeah so we started building and uh six weeks into the program uh he got a full-time job at rbc um well paid um and he was an international student as well and so uh getting a job for him was like a priority for him to stay in the country and so he's like hey man i love what you're doing i'd be down to like support you maybe a couple hours every week but i'm not going to be able to commit as a co-founder um and he was very open with that and i i understood like i was i was pretty open to that as well and and we decided to kind of just split ways um yeah so basically, it was he wasn't able to be a full time co-founder. He was able to maybe offer you a couple hours a week. He could still be a co-founder, but I think this is like an interesting piece where it's like there's a there's a moment where you either have the ability to be all in and full time. And I do find a lot of that is people that are still in school or just graduating school, right? Because the the leap of faith is a little bit maybe easier for some yeah. to bear. 
or people that have been super intentional and either have saved up for it or the the pain has been so great that they need to make yeah. this change and and make that leap but i've also talked to many people that have have sort of built it on the side but it sounds like you know he's starting this new job that's going to take a lot of mental energy and so the amount of hours that he had to invest and and it sounds like you're building a pretty technical product that might have been a bit of a bottleneck and so that caused you to have some open and transparent conversations what were like some of the hardest things that you had to talk through in that moment did you guys talk about could you keep this going like what were some of those real dialogues and how did you handle yeah them? so so we definitely went back and forth and it was a bit of like a i'd say a bit of an awkward conversation to have and a tough at least a tough one to have right because you're like i think we had a phase of around two three weeks that i gradually saw his time put in uh reduce and i was like i i kind of had a feeling i wanted to have a conversation about hey like uh how are you feeling like we agreed on x y and z like are you able to put in the time but it was kind of like a slow burner and then eventually we it it led us to have that that chat but i think if there's anything i've learned at least from that first experience was just having that open conversation from the very beginning and making sure that you're on the same page in terms of expectations um on on what's going to happen in a situation where you know things don't go the way we expect them to because i think everything's well and good when everything's going right but we don't talk and we hope for the best situations but everything changes when things aren't going necessarily how you expect right and so having those conversations really and even maybe before committing to anything having like that test period to kind of work together and obviously when you're doing this I was even told the same thing like when you're having a co-founder you should you know have some time to actually work with them on a project and see what your dynamic is and things of that sort but it's not as easy as that right like I had a time constraint I was in this incubator I had to achieve x y and z by the end of it and my peers that were making so much progress like there's all these different situations and dynamics and so you it's not as easy easy as it say right if that makes sense yeah, but but maybe on the wisdom that you've gained through that experience, are there certain questions that you would maybe bring into any co-founder, you know, matching dialogue or are there elements of what you were saying there where you would do it even though it feels challenging to slow down to speed up? I think that's like the 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 way it's described, but you know, work and collaborate on a project in order to feel out how you work together before embarking on a formal co-founder relationship, what out of this first um, partnership would you sort of take Yeah, away? I think in terms of questions or things to consider before you get in business with someone is I definitely think spend some time, even if it's a small project, uh, just spend some time working on a project to see what your work dynamic is like. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Um, spend time doing like nothing like uh not working on stuff so and it, i think it's important seeing what people are like outside of that work environment because it does affect other stuff and then really have those deeper conversations that are more personal because this is like a, a marriage right like you're it, it is a very big deal and you're probably spending more time with your co-founder than anyone else in your life and so 
you have to know what they're like even outside of work and 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 having those dynamics and yeah i think i think just yeah spending more time having those deep conversations and and being open and honest with the worst outcome let's say like what is what is the worst outcome that we can possibly have and if we're in that situation what what are our options and being open and honest with that from the very beginning um versus waiting for that to happen and seeing for yourself got it there's a piece here and i'm just curious your thoughts because you've gone through it do you think it's uh ever worth so you talked about the worst outcomes like what's the worst possible thing that could happen and how would we manage it um but we're obviously today going to talk about you know quitting or choosing to leave as a co-founder and in this scenario it was a, a mutual breakup like there was an understanding of things that had to to part ways and you you related this to a marriage and so i'm curious if there's this element of like a prenup <laughs> that you need to talk about which is like hey should we need to for reasons that you've maybe already laid out or discussed need to part ways what are the paths that that can take is it hey i'm still a owner uh but i have reduced time is it i'm an owner i have no time but give up equity allow you to hire someone and i contribute do you think it's worth having that conversation or is that leading to the inevitable which is someone's going to look for that out and you're giving them the escape clause it i mean people probably have opinions yeah. on both sides of this but i'm curious as someone that's lived through that and having to have those dialogues would that upfront conversation have potentially yeah 100% so when i first got into business with my first co-founder i think with him i didn't even know what a vesting agreement was and i didn't know uh that there was an option to even like you know the, there's like a buyback clause where you can buy back the shares as as a company right those are things i did not know uh, cuz i was very new to the startup space and so <laughs> i wish i had done that and i think i wish we had had that conversation from the very beginning because that expectations are very clear like hey uh your your equity is only going to be vested when after a certain time or after you hit certain milestones and when you have that conversation you can gauge the level of commitment from the other person and then even having that buyback uh, equity kind of clause around you know if you do quit the company can buy back um all the shares and things of that sort so those are things i did not know about um or how that even worked and and a lot of a lot of people don't like uh you'd be surprised right and so these are things that i think like you should definitely put into place and have that prenup conversation at the very beginning because then it puts everyone on the same page yeah yeah that's fair so you were going through the process of of parting ways on this venture uh and then you met someone else and some things made sense because it was related. Talk me through that. Um, talk me through how that formalized the potential ending of, of that startup that you were in the process of building and what this new venture was and, and what you what path that you decided to go yeah, down. Yeah, so there. to give the audience some context, this is six weeks into my program. That's four months over the summer. Um, I had not built any tech yet. Um, and I also, the way the program was built was after a certain point in time, you start talking to investors, um, you need to show X amount of progress. And then there's also this weird like comparison and pressure with everyone else that's the, the incubator as well. And so 
Um, I we finalized that agreement with my initial co-founder, and I'm on the hunt to find someone new that's technical and that's aligned with my vision that I want to build. And in this process, again, go back to the same process. I reach out to all the smartest people I know. And first I ask them if they want to join me. And if if they say no, then I'd, I reach out to, I ask them if there's anyone that they know who's the smartest people they know that would like to work on something. And as part of that process, one of my mutual connections say that met a competitor in the in the same space I was working in at a Founders Poker event and was like, Hey, and when he met him, he texted me and he's like, yo, you should check out this guy. He's building exactly what you've been trying to build. And it may be interesting to have a conversation with him. And so what was funny was when he sent me his LinkedIn profile, I noticed that I actually reached out to this person whilst I was doing my research. I never got a response, but it was funny that that alignment was there. And so I was like, hey, get his email and I'll reach out to him and we can do something. And so get his email. I reach out to him, send him my profile, send him what I'm doing. And I'm like, we should meet up. And so we set up a time for that Friday. We meet downtown Toronto. And before I meet him, I obviously do my research on the company. And I noticed a couple of things. I noticed that one, they had built, figured out the tech side of the, of the business. And there were at least 18 months ahead of me in terms of my process on the tech side. Um, I also realized that our product was catered for the Gen Z millennial market and no one on their team was Gen Z millennial. They, we also worked in the nonprofit fundraising industry and none of them had nonprofit background. All of those things were things I thought I could bring to the table. And so going into that conversation, I was prepared to have a chat about me potentially working with him and helping them go to market. So I thought that's a big value add I can bring. But I made sure and I told myself that um, he's probably going to offer me a job and I'm not willing to work for someone. I'm only doing this because I want to start my own thing. And so I'm not taking a job. Like, um, if anything, we work as co-founders. And so we have a chat. We talk for a couple hours. Great alignment in terms of the vision and what we're trying to build. Uh, tech side, I definitely saw that. Like, they figured out the tech, which was something I didn't know how to approach. And I was like, uh, I didn't know what the best way was. And I was finding a lot of barriers. And so at the end of our conversation, he was like, how tied are you to your company? And I'm like, like, what do you mean? And he said, he said, would you be willing to join me as a co-founder? I've been, I've been looking for, for someone that can compliment me for a while. And you seem like a great fit in terms of everything you bring to the table. And so I'm like, I'd definitely be open to it, but like what like what does that even mean from an equity perspective what does that mean like how much money have you guys raised like i like what like tell me more and so he shares with me a bunch of documentation we go back and forth in terms of negotiating equity and even at that point i think for someone if i hadn't had the six weeks experience that i had i could i would have easily settled on the initial equity that he offered me, but I was very firm in terms of what I bring to the table. And even though he had, there were investors on the cap table, he had invested his own money and I had no, I had no money to invest. Um, I made sure I got enough equity for me to feel inspired to work on this. Right. And so those are things I think a lot of people don't tell you. And I, I wanted to share that. Keep in mind, he was also 
twice my age. And so he was 54, I'm 22. And and it was a bit of a weird dynamic, like negotiating something with someone that's like my dad's age. Um, but I wanted to, I wanted to make sure I do that. Um, and I stay firm and I, I understand the, the business as a whole. Can you, I mean, there's pieces there that you, you mentioned that maybe not everyone's familiar with. And I think sometimes it, as you're talking, it actually inspired me to say, maybe we need to go do a deep dive on this as part of the show cap table sends over some documents like some people just like oh like what's our percentages and done the cap table who's on it can you just like maybe super simplify we're not going to go do the deep dive on this today but as someone looking to join an existing business or not um, maybe they're starting from scratch what were some of the things that you at that moment were interested in understanding looking at seeing what were some of the things you were looking yeah. for and transparently, this is only like your like second real venture into this space. And you probably hadn't dealt with a bunch of these and you probably had some mentors. But what was like your initial look at some of these? And then how has that now changed yeah. now that you've gone through it? Is there anything else you've learned? And we're probably gonna have to go do a deep dive on this because I think we gloss over the formulation of a startup and cap tables and people drop these words and they assume that when you got an idea, you're just supposed yeah. to know all that stuff and people make a lot of mistakes. So I want to hear like your journey on this and what were some of the things. You yeah. Were so at for? the time I was also very new to all this terminology. Um, and I, I didn't, I didn't even know what is it I should ask for. I was kind of in the same headspace. Like, Oh, I just have to negotiate like equity. Like, Oh, we should do 60, 40. And that's, that's it, a 50, 50 or whatever it is. And that's the only thing I knew. Um, and so, what was really good was he, because he had worked on previous ventures, he actually sent me a bunch of stuff himself, um, which which helped me exactly, like um, which a lot of people wouldn't do, right? And so um, that also gave me the trust that he's someone uh, that is not, you know, like uh, messing me over or like not being transparent and it built that trust very quickly. But he sent me one of the cap tables. So cap tables basically is just like an Excel sheet where uh, it kind of breaks down uh, the overall shares of the company, um, how much equity does everyone have, if there's investors, how much equity do they have, um, and then even the types of shares, whether it's voting, non-voting, preferred, common shares, right? Um, so those are things to look at, and the importance of that is basically uh, you're able to understand one, at that stage of the company, what does equity look like? But also it gives you a better idea for the future, for future rounds. If you are a, comp a startup that's going to raise future rounds, how much equity do we have to sort of play with and, and give investors and things of that sort? Um, so I think that was extremely important. And that's something I learned when I was trying to understand the importance of a cap table. And, and so... Is, is there anything specifically that you look for in that, by the way, just before we move off the topic of cap tables or something that's like a red so I flag? I think making sure you have like obviously voting and preferred shares. And also when you're having that conversation around cap table, a vesting agreement. And so a vesting agreement is basically an agreement between you and your uh, co-founder or whoever you're working with. Um, everyone in the business if you're earning, so let's say Mike and I are getting into business. I initially have 100% of the business and I want to bring Mike on board. Mike is like, hey, I'll work with you if you have 
I, I want 50% of the business. And so before I agree to that, I'm going to tell Mike, hey, I love that, but we have to come up with a vesting agreement in which basically we're going to put into writing that you will earn your 50% shares um, after one a period of time. So let's say year one, you'll earn 10% of that 50%, year two, 20%, year three, and so forth. And then you can also create a vesting agreement based on milestones. And so you can be like, hey, if we're selling 10 chocolates, once you hit five chocolates, you'll earn X amount, eight chocolates, X amount of equity and 10 uh, chocolates and so forth. And so those are things that I didn't... Got it. So it's putting some gates, ex- it's putting some gates timeline-based or outcome-based on the share. Exactly. And the importance of that is also in a situation where Mike for some reason has to leave the company before year one or at year two, we need to make sure that we, we Mike doesn't have 50% of the company and he's not even working full time on the business. Right. Um, and so I think that's, that's something that I, I kind of learned. Um, and, and we had that investing agreement conversation as well. Um, and then also looking at things like your shareholders agreement, um, looking at just NDA, what that looks like, your data room. So like anything you send to an investor, just looking at your financial forecast, things of that sort. Okay. Yeah. On that, can you just tell me what, it, what is a data room? I've, I've heard the topic. I, I, I have some overview of what that is, but others may not. Can you just explain what a data, so a data room, room is? is basically when you're raising capital, it's uh, yep. Google Drive or some sort of folder that you send to an investor. And this is... I like OneDrive exactly. myself, but you can use Google <laughs> I'm just messing around, man. So it's some type of shared folder with a, bunch, a bunch of stuff, of stuff in it. And, like and, and the bunch of stuff is usually you'd put your financial forecasts of your company. You'd put maybe your financial statements from previous years. You would share uh, your pitch deck, obviously. You'd share all sorts of agreements, shareholders agreement, client agreements. Um, basically, all the type of information that you can give to someone to fully understand the business ins and out. Um, one thing I did not ask my co-founder when I got into business with them was um, I did not ask for our financial statements. Um, and I think it was, or even if he did send it to me, I don't remember like fully going into the roots of it and understanding our financial situation. And so the disadvantage of that was a couple months into the business, I realized that, uh, my co-founder had put in a huge chunk of money into the business. Um, and he put that money as a loan to the business. And so eventually when we did, we did make X much amount of revenue. We'd first have to pay him back, uh, pay back that loan and then everything else, if that makes sense. And so that's information. Yeah. yeah that's yeah, information yeah, yeah. I didn't know. Which is fair. It's just about like, it's a bit of like fair on his part. He made a loan in, he expected to get it out. But I guess these are like the things that you learn now, right? Um, data room sounds daunting and scary. It's not. It's a folder with a bunch of information that you will want to share with someone who's going to join or participate in your startup or vice versa. If you're looking to join or participate as an investor or as equity partner that you want to look at. Um, And it sounds like one of the things that maybe 
I'm not calling you out, but it just, you know, you're learning, right? So one of the things you hadn't given as much time or due diligence to, which others, if if they're listening, should, is really pay attention to um, not just the forward-looking forecast of a financial statement, but understanding the mechanics of what has built the company to where it is today. Are there loans? Are there payback periods? Are there, um, you know, other debts in the organization that you need to be paying attention to? And we'll do a deeper dive, but these are some some very good insights, I think, for anyone that doesn't yeah, know Yeah, exactly. And I think a couple of things to add is I would, when you're in a situation like this, where you're joining an existing company as a co-founder, I would go through the same due diligence process as an investor would go through. And so um, whether it's, you know, if they say they have X many clients, you call their clients or set up a time to chat with them. If they say they are working with X, Y, and Z partner, uh, have a chat with those partners. And it is a lot of work. But again, if this is something you want to commit to, then it's important for you to have that conversation. If the person you're working with is unwilling to share that information, that in itself is a red flag, right? Because you want a relationship of trust and transparency, which is extremely important. Makes sense. Um, now, obviously, this is the startup where you were last. And uh, you have since decided to part ways and go down and work on something else. And we're going to talk about that something else today. But talk to me about that parting of ways. Um, you know, what were some of the elements that caused you to rethink your involvement with the startup and then like i guess this is going to sound hard for people but sometimes people either assume that the startup makes it or folds and they feel bound to having to continue forward but you today are going to talk about this different path which is as a co-founder even in a business that's made traction there is a path and and you have to talk through it to you know divorce or to to quit or to part ways however you want to frame it um, but there is a way yeah. to leave and so let's talk about you know what that sort of looked like and talk through any advice you have for others um and it can be for a multitude yeah. of reasons right I, I think you'll you'll talk about some today and they're not good or bad on anybody that they might be in some people's scenarios it might be toxic I don't think yours is toxic it was just there's a, a difference in alignment going forward and your own prioritization of things in your own life that that led you to this decision and sometimes it's about having that open and honest conversation with yourself so talk talk us through that a little bit uh zian and help us understand for others going through some similar thoughts how they could set forward the motion of, of yeah something like so this. to kind of give some context before i decided to part ways six weeks before that my co-founder and i had had a chat around potentially pivoting and initially, I obviously signed up as, and my big vision was to, you know, disrupt the nonprofit fundraising space. Um, and, and, and that's what our tech could do. But my co-founder, because one, our sales cycles were very long, um, the nonprofits we were talking to, they, they loved the idea. But when it came down to putting dollars, and even those that they put dollars to in time to actually help us go to market, it was a very long process. And we were running out of runway and so and we also had to raise more money and so when we talked to investors investors the moment we mentioned nonprofits kind of thought it, it was a red flag and and they didn't think our market was big enough 
But what was interesting was when we talked to investors and we talk about our, the cashback side of our business, they really loved that idea. And so whilst we were pitching, when we changed our pitch to just focus on that piece, the feedback was really, was way better. And for me, I think my lesson from that was, one, you should never pivot your business based on what investors say, because investors are not your customers, right? And even though they're going to put money into your business, like, they don't know your business the way you do, right? And so whilst that was happening, I kept telling myself that. Um, and so when, my con- when we had a conversation with my co-founder about pivoting, I was like, hey, we'll go 100% into this, this new idea. But before we do that, we need to validate if this cashback side market is uh, is is a good idea, and and we want to invest all our time. And so, what was weird was both him and I kept getting completely different uh, points of validation when when we would go to the market, and he would get a very optimistic view in terms of validation, and I was getting the opposite, and I wasn't fully bought into this vision of of taking of changing our complete business and it's not what i initially signed up to it's not what i was inspired to wake up to every day and so whilst we were trying to find this validation there were a couple other things that my co-founder and i weren't necessarily aligned on and and even in terms of our work dynamic because uh, i was based in bc he was based in ontario again that may have caused a lot of friction and and it was really tough to kind of like work together um and so eventually there were all these different factors and i gave a period of two weeks to fully make my decision but where it and i kept going back and forth on one side i was like hey it's normal to pivot in startups and like you have to do what the market says and all these different things right and I'm not a quitter, and and this is that perseverance stage where all startups talk about where they had X many dollars in their bank account, but they still decided to go for it, and then they made it out, right? So I thought it, it was a sign of that stage. But on the other side, where it ticked off was when I had this conversation with myself around, in a world where we are successful, um, in a world where we do raise money and have X many clients, is this something I want to be working on? Um, will I be inspired to work on this? And will I be want, will I want to work with my co-founder on this? And I think that's where, for me, it kind of gave me clarity around that's not something I'd want to be doing, right? Um, it didn't align with my own personal, I guess, purpose and, and passion. Um, there were all these other misalignments. Um and I was like, instead of making that decision then, um, I'd rather make it now. And so before I quit, I gave, I'd, we had, I had an open conversation with my co-founder around where my headspace is at. And I also told him that, like, in my mind, I'd internally given myself a deadline by end of January to make, this was around November. And so uh, end of January to make a decision for myself. And I told him, like, if things don't change and, and, and we aren't more aligned, then then I'm going to have to make that decision. But we have two months. I'm going to give my 100% and we'll see where it goes. But that week after we had that conversation, I still felt like that misalignment was there. And that's when I had to make that tough decision. And I'm like, 
nothing's gonna necessarily change between now and January. And at the back of my head, deep inside, if I had to be honest with myself, I envisioned a world where it didn't work out end of January. And so I'm like, instead of making that decision, then I'd rather make it now. That's when I decided to to leave. It's interesting because you talked about, and I think I talked to a lot of founders that have two two paths that they see for themselves. There's those um, motivated by the financial outcomes, um, which is totally fine. I think it's important to be honest with yourself in these scenarios because a lot of times it is the financial outcome and that is a big piece. And some of it is the impact outcome. And it's the answer is always a bit of both. But it's which one is uh, most important to you right now. And in, in this journey, not one person being right or wrong. Both are fine. It sounds like your co-founder had the impact of the financial outcomes that he wanted to drive. So he was focused on what was going to go drive profitability in the business, where we're going to get investment. But you had signed on because that wasn't the most important thing to you in this current moment. And you were very focused on the impact component first. That might change in maybe six months when we talk or a year, you'll be like, hey, I'm on the financial. But you had joined for the impact uh, in a specific area and this pivot sort of changed the dynamic of that. And it led you to feel maybe that you need to revisit. Is this what you would be interested in spending your time and energy on? Not because it's still a good or a bad business, but just the pivot changed where and what the dynamic of what you're going to be working on might look like for the years and months ahead. So it's, it's really interesting. Now, how that's tough, right? It, it's a really, I'm sure that you were making this sound like it was a very easy conversation. I imagine there's a lot of awkward silence, a lot of pauses, frustration, then happiness, then sadness. How did you talk through this? And do you know, when you're doing this, do you just like handing your two weeks? Do you have to, you know, help uh, off board? Do you have to help find another co-founder? What are like some best practices in, in going about this? Once you made your decision, what what was the next yeah one hundred percent? I think I think um, just one just to go back a little bit in terms of what you said in terms of you know financial outcomes versus impact outcomes. I think for me. The reason why I came to the startup world versus running my nonprofit, which was going very well, was the financial outcomes. I saw myself in a world where I thought the startup model offers me um, the financial outcomes and increases my likelihood to make that impact, which is why I did startup versus nonprofit, right? Um, However, I wouldn't take that over working on something that's not aligned with my personal values or or and also where I'm not personally just happy and and um it's not something I look forward to, right? And I think that is that is what where I kind of take off that that decision. And then going back to your question around what does that process look like? So um it was definitely a lot of tough conversations that two week period of time. Like it was very hard to get sleep. Like, and I would stay up until three, four. I'm just kind of thinking about all the possibilities and like what's going to happen, what's not going to happen. And then eventually, you know, I just kind of set up a call and I was extremely transparent to it. My co-founder had that conversation with them. I was like, Hey, I have a lot of respect for what you're doing. I, I, I think there's potential for this and, we were 
getting a lot of good feedback from the conversations we were having and it felt like it was we were just right next to that gold right um and all we needed was kind of time but um i was like it's 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 just not for me um and i will, i'll definitely support you in this transition phase but i'm going to have to make this tough decision and that's where we kind of um he 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 had taken some time to think about it um he offered me a deal of some sort to maybe sort of convince me to stay um i decided once i'd made up my mind it was very hard to kind of go back and so um i obviously like i rejected that offer and 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 then we both uh one we talked about like kind of next steps and uh luckily the way we had set up there was not too much of a like a handover process um it was pretty smooth just it was mostly just like directing the conversations I was already having to him and then also just all the accounts and passwords and things of that sort and then after we figured that piece out I basically had to put it in writing and basically come up with a letter of terminating our founders agreement and have a date on that and signature I sign it he signs it and then once all of that was done we had one more chat and we basically just kind of talked about what is it that worked what is it that didn't work how is it that yeah oh, that's awesome so like almost a bit of like an exit interview to help both parties and both co-founders still leave on amicable exactly. terms exactly from this experience yeah really what's like work that. what's didn't work how is it that i can be better in the future um and we kind of just gave feedback to each other and what the learning lessons were for each other and um and ended kind of on, on we had good closure ended on good terms uh, which made me feel better and less saltier about the whole thing right so um and that was obviously very like mature of him and and i'm super grateful to have ended on on those notes yeah that's really good and i think that's probably a best practice is like this isn't uh you know you're not leaving most of the times a toxic relationship you still want the best for both other parties but you're not going to stay in something that just doesn't make sense for either of you it could do more yeah. harm than good so there are scenarios and i've i've heard some of them on the podcast where a lot of it comes down to this misalignment in terms of vision and it and it's not a bad misalignment in vision sometimes it's hey i want the you know venture backed billion dollar IPO journey and this is an amazing profitable business but it's not paying me enough and if I'm going to do that I should just go work a job otherwise I need to go for the IPO thing misalignment and vision yours was I do want it to have financial impact but it needs to be aligned to this thing that I'm trying to change in the world because that's where it started and if it pivots away from that it still has the financial impact but I just don't know if I can be as energized and bring my full self after that pivot yeah. and you just had that honest conversation you, so i love it you you brought um, up a really important point there and that reminded me to like your earlier question on what questions should you ask each other and those are the yeah. questions right there like one what is your why and why did both why are both of you doing this what's in it for you from a selfish point of view financial impact family passion whatever it may be what is that why for you and what's in it for you in a good outcome or a bad outcome 
bad outcome? And then also, what does exit look like for you? Is it IPO? Is it getting acquired? Do you want to bootstrap? Or you want to go that route? Or do you want to go the VC route and, and go through that whole process? So I think those are the types of conversations. And I think YC has a really good resource around questions to ask your co-founders, like a, a huge list of, of questions that people should also check out. Yeah. But I, I really love that point. I just want to emphasize on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is just through talking to other people, you hear these stories and it it's obviously not one of the scenarios. It's many people have experienced this. There's like not hundreds, there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of startups and people have learnings in, in aggregate from all of this. So you've since obviously parted ways amicably. What are you up to now? I see, you know, maybe just chilling, but you don't seem like the kind of person that sort of jumps off the treadmill. So I'm sure there's something going on. I think we kind of queued it up at the beginning called Leaders of Today. This one, I'm not going to ask for your pitch on this. I think we just casually yeah. talk about it because I don't think it needs a pitch. I think it's more interesting just to understand this transition moment that you're going through and and tell me about what is what is Leaders of yeah, Today? Yeah, 100%. So at the start of the year, one... Well, it started off as like a passion project. I was always interested in, you know, sharing learnings and insights um, and my network with with people that have, with people that want, like aspire to go through the journey that I have um, and people that are kind of on the same journey as I am on. Um, and I wanted to always use like, you know, just Instagram, LinkedIn to always share that. And I always did it sort of casually, but I wanted to kind of formalize that and be more intentional about it. And so at the start of the year, started off with a podcast. Um, I uh, I got like two brand deals um, and I was like, what do I do with all this money? Let me invest it into a podcast, which is something I always wanted to do. So hired a production team, um, did 16 episodes and I just interviewed young people that had done really cool things in different spaces, sports a startup, nonprofit, um, um, arts, and got them on the pod and we chatted about what it's like to start something as a young person and what that journey looked like. Um, whilst I was doing that, a lot of young people would be like, hey, I'm so inspired by this episode, but what next? And I realized, like, yes, I'm just, we're giving that inspiration piece, but like now what do they do with that information, right? And so I'm like, okay, we have to figure out a way to add more value um and that's what kind of inspired me to start this newsletter and on the newsletter i was basically kind of just sharing um uh tools frameworks resources and opportunities for people to now either start off whatever they passionate about or take it to that next level whether it's grants or conferences or pitch competitions or things of that sort and so we launched we started building at the start of the year until around April, um, where we had gathered a couple thousand subscribers. Um, and then I kind of left it off the side of my desk and um, I was just focusing on this other venture that I was going through. And then at around October this year, I was like, hey, like, whilst I'm building my own venture, like, I still, I, I miss that piece of like giving back and that aspirational side of me. And a lot of people are always, you know, asking to have a chat and have a conversation. Um, how, how about I bring back this newsletter that, that I was doing? And so 
I started doing that. And one of the things I was doing was I was, I kept getting, I keep getting all these opportunities on my feeds and all these emails, um, newsletters I'm subscribed to. And I'm like, I would always save them for myself on my notes, but there's so many things I'm not eligible for. So I just like texted to my friends like, Hey, this one, this opportunity seems really cool and you look eligible. And so I had this list, but I'm like, how about I share it with my newsletter and, and, and my audience, right? And so I did that and kept posting on LinkedIn, um, or sharing that list and sharing like three out of the 50 opportunities and asking people if they want the full list, they should subscribe. Um, and I kept doing that and those posts kept blowing up and, and I was clearly like getting so much validation that young people want these things. And so um, by, I think, end of October, we're around like 11,000-ish subscribers. And then November to December, in a span of four-ish weeks, we really grew massively by just doing that. And we're at around 47,000 subscribers on the newsletter right now. And so a lot happened in a very short period of time in this last 90 days we're almost at 1.5 million impressions on linkedin and all i'm doing is just adding value for free at this point and it's a pain point that i know when i started when i was 15 i definitely felt it and because i grew up in east africa it was way more harder to access certain opportunities and it was you only get access to some of these if you have a great network or great social capital right and so my goal here was trying to level the playing field and democratize access to this. And in the process of that, I felt like I was sitting on something that I can eventually explore and see how I can turn it into a business. That's so cool. So you started, you you know, you, off the side of your desk, you had this like community that you'd started. Um, you brought it back and you started nurturing it again. And really, you found this gap, not unlike a startup. So like, a, in a way, you're building a community, but it sounds a lot like what you do in a startup, which is you identified a gap where young people don't necessarily have a go-to source uh, for all of the ways that they can go have yeah. impact and what opportunities exist for them to go get their journeys started, whether it be learning or startups or other things, not, not just startup related, but a whole wide variety of resources for young people to have an impact on the world. And you started bringing that information to them and best practices to them. So tell me about this. Now you've got a newsletter, you're sharing some content, what kind of things you talk lightly, like grants and opportunities, but what is this network or community that you're building and what are the sort of things that if someone signs up they might expect yeah from it? so as part of the the newsletter in terms of what you can expect is it goes out every tuesday primarily what we share is one i share personal experiences from things that i wish i knew in the past um, so I'll give you an example, our upcoming newsletter, we're going to talk about how I got, uh, PR and media for my social enterprise and, uh, the titles, like how I got featured on BBC. And I, I shared that experience in terms of, there's so many things about this, like it doesn't come organically. There's a whole process. You have to have a media campaign, write up a press release, 
build relationships with folk journalists, producers, editors, um, pitch to them, and then eventually, if there's alignment in terms of your story, what's happening around the world, and their own interests, um, they'll do a feature on you. And all these things, like it's it's it, you like most people will be like, hey, this guy got an interview at BBC. But like how you got there, I feel like a lot of there are a lot of gatekeepers that don't like to share that information. And so those are stories that I share on the newsletter. And then um, as part of the newsletter, we also have a list of 50 opportunities that we update every week. So we add 10 to 25 new opportunities every week. So you get access to that to that document. Um, it's like a it's a it's basically a living document where we keep updating those. And then we have 30 or so resources, um, everything from fundraising to social media to pitching um, that people can access as well. Um, this is just what this this newsletter looks like at this stage. The long-term vision is um, leaders of today sort of this umbrella um, business. And within it, there's a whole range of things. So there's the content side. Um, under the content side, we're building... Um, we're bringing back the podcast. Um, we're gonna obviously do our social media content and then the newsletter. Um, we have a community side within that community. Um, we are one, we, this year I tested out with a lot of like, uh, um, meetups of people that are at the same stage and the same vertical. So in Vancouver, um, we're, we're going to be doing once a month invite only, um, 10 to 15 people that come to the same place either at the same stage of their startup. And you talk about everything but your startup and it's a free space for you to just hang out. So there's that like uh, meetups section. We have uh, a larger community piece that's open to everyone. And we're still trying to figure that out, whether it's like a Slack or Discord channel or WhatsApp channel or broadcast on Instagram. Um, and then lastly, we have in-person uh, events, right? And so... We're talking a hundred people get sponsors, get speakers, do panels, things of that sort. And then we have we have a consulting side. So in that consulting wing, we're basically gonna. So we've had as part of this process, we had a couple of organizations reach out to us and basically ask us how we are, you know, engaging with young people, and we have a lot of data on these young people. And so we're gonna consult other youth organizations, education companies. Uh, schools how they can engage that population and then lastly we also want to figure out ways to monetize this opportunity list that we have and charge either be b2b charge these organizations to serve their youth and then b2c side maybe have like a freemium sort of model where you know you get free 50 opportunities but if you own five thousand opportunities we charge you a couple dollars a month to access this and it's customized for you so there's a lot of moving parts, but that's kind of the long-term vision. Yeah. Um, and I am running this as a startup, as a business. Um, well, totally. Like as you're talking through it, I'm like, these are all parts, right? You've got an arm that is about creating demand, and, and the top of funnel, arm yeah, that is about acquiring customers. You've got B2B and B2C components, but they're all connected at the heart around this idea of helping connect all of the resources with all of the people that need them in a young space of amplifying their exactly. impact. But as you talk through it, you basically are talking about like a business called Leaders of Today, 
that's not actually like just the creator economy because that's usually you're in the creator economy you're getting paid for your content but you're actually not just putting content out that's one pillar of multiple pillars that you've talked about here about bringing these pieces together exactly and what's for me what i'm super passionate about is it's connected all the experiences i've had in my life and since i started when i was 15 there's the nonprofit social impact side there's the business side that I'm super passionate about building businesses that can make real money. And then there's the side that loves, you know, speaking, storytelling, creating content and that side. And so, uh, so those are, it's just, it's just kind of connecting all into one. And obviously with all these arms that I mentioned, we're not going to target, do everything all at once. I'm a one man. I say we, but I'm, it's just me right now. We, we have a plan in terms of rolling that out. Um, over time and then also targeting individual verticals and so we are starting with a youth sort of sort of impact space right now but eventually there's there's other verticals that we think uh, young people are engaging as well and so we have you know there's a whole internship side of business where a lot of our young people are like hey we want internships we want jobs um, there's that vertical we want to target there's um, uh, the startup world as you probably know um and that vertical and there's a couple other verticals we're looking at and also segmenting by demographic and so right now our audience is global um we have primarily north america and india and asia but specifically india is our big thing but uh when we're going through this process we want to start with one demographic and then eventually capture that demographic and build out and so running it exactly like a business would um instead of you know thinking of it as like a creator or, as a, or like an influencer would quote unquote i love it well uh it sounds like there might even be some future opportunities to collab as i help lift up canadian startups and that sounds like a portion of where we'll maybe find some some yeah. mutual ground of amplifying canadian innovators t- together um if people want to find out more obviously it sounds like they can join this community right away where should people be going, uh, Zion, to, to join Leaders so of Today? So you can simply, I'll, I'll share the link with you for people to subscribe in the description, but you can find, you can just add to Zion Virgie everywhere and at Leaders of Today pod um, on all the socials. Uh, we are figuring out our branding piece right now and trying to figure out um, how to kind of streamline everything because everything just happened so quickly. And so... But yeah, I'll yeah. share all the links and you can you can check it out in the description. No, that's cool. And this is like a really hot off the press. Like by the time this pod gets released, probably there'll be material leaps and gains in, in the next couple of weeks. But, you know, I wanted to hear your story. We, we obviously want to talk a little bit about leaders of today. But I think this like finding the right co-founder, um, parting ways as a co-founder with the startup that you're a part of. I think there's so much there that is like taboo to often talk about. I think people need to hear it because they need to understand that that is an, an element. And then it's cool to hear how you're creating a community um, and content, but you're, you're, you're treating it as a business based on all your past experiences. And I'm really, really uh, excited to watch that journey and, and see, obviously I'm about lifting up Canadian startups impacting the world. You're about just more broadly, globally, leaders of today, which are young people helping have an impact, not just startups, but anything they're doing. And I think there's some cool ways that we can help uplift this community um, together. 
Uh, Zeon, we've had a lot of really cool dialogue today. Before we kind of close out, is there any final tips or advice that you want to share? Uh, maybe even some free things that you'd have to subscribe yeah. for in the newsletter, but any guidance as we sort of part, part, part off for today for anybody listening to I the think podcast? in terms of my headspace, one, especially for young people that are listening, I think a uh, great advice that I got from one of the folks at, at Next um, was at this stage of your life, your measure of success or your KPI of success should be maximizing your learning. And the reason why it's been so, quote unquote, easy for me to make these bold decisions has been really just measuring every decision I'm making on that maximizing of learning um, uh, sort of approach. And I don't have regrets spending seven months into the startup, uh, taking zero dollars out of it and, uh, you know, going through that whole experience because I learned so much and I wouldn't have learned it at any university co- course at any, uh, in other context, right? This kind of stuff you have to, yep. it's a different exactly, vector of learning. You have right? to do it to learn. And I'm so grateful for that experience. So, Right now, especially at this stage of my life, that's my only KPI of success. How am I maximizing learning? And where, am I putting myself in positions to maximize that? Um, so that's one, two. I think um, not being you know, afraid to make bold decisions and trusting your gut um, whilst you're doing that. But And then a last kind of, I guess, uh, thing to think about is at least for myself is on one hand, yes, rush, like go for it, you know, trust your instinct and don't overthink certain decisions, but to also make sure you spend time doing your due diligence, doing that quote unquote dirty work to make sure that you're, you're making the best decision possible and you're collecting all the data that you can possibly collect, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. Improving your, improving yourself. Um, Zion, thank you for helping dive into some raw unscripted topic today. We just had a real conversation on a whole bunch of things. I think this is really cool because it's part of where I want to take the pitch please podcast in, in 2024, which is continuing to have amazing founder stories and talking to Canadian startups, but now starting to unpack some of the topics that I've heard so many themes around over the last year. Um, that I think are real things that people want to hear about that are starting a startup in a startup, reflecting on should they leave their business or company for a startup. And I think having these topics and just hearing perspectives, they're not right or wrong answers, but hearing how others have gone through it are really helpful for the community. So thank you for for being one of the first to help tackle some of these new wider spanning topics. Uh, looking forward to seeing leaders of today grow and looking forward to what those collaborations might look like yeah. even for us. Uh, thanks again, Zion, and, and everyone that listened in. I hope this was a super educational, informative topic for you today. And make sure to go check out Leaders of Today and, and sign up if you're a young leader of today. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate being on here. You've been listening to the Pitch Please Podcast. Pitch Please. Pitch Please. <laughs> Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Tune in for regular episodes and show notes at pitchplease.ca. And make sure to give us a follow on your favorite podcast platform. 
Pitch Please, a Bluemex podcast, is hosted by Michael Thibodeau and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. For more Pitch Please content subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.